Well, life moves pretty quick, doesn't it? Easter has come and gone. It feels to me like it was weeks ago. I know probably our choir doesn't feel that way. But um, Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, at least for my family. Um, And now we face a new week, and it's almost we can drift into, all right, now on with life. It was a great week, but now it's time to move on. I don't know if you feel that. I feel that a little bit. But as we begin a new series on prayer, I think it is our opportunity to not leave behind the one relationship that is most vital in our life, our relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while we're drawn more intentionally into our faith journey during Lent, especially during Holy Week, now after we have celebrated Easter, we have the opportunity to continue on in our faith and maybe even deepen our faith as we nurture our relationship with God. This is the heartbeat of our souls if we would just listen. And I think the timeliness of this series may be more important than what you and I may now realize. In the coming weeks, we're going to explore and answer questions like, what do I bring to prayer? And what does God do in prayer? How am I to pray for myself? How am I to pray for others? How do I pray daily? Are there things I should do or should say? Or are there things that perhaps I shouldn't? And along the way, in the weeks to come, we're going to provide you with prayer resources, with some book lists of what our worship team, our pastors have compiled as what we think are some of the great go-to books on prayer. And we are going to have some upcoming prayer gatherings that we will make you aware of. And Lisa has already shared every week you have the opportunity to pray in our prayer room after any service. So as we get started, I think it might be good just to define what we mean by prayer. I have often used the definition that prayer is simply talking with God. It's just talking with God. Whenever, however, wherever that may happen, it's just talking with God. And I've used that definition because I wanted to lower the barrier for people with prayer. Sometimes prayer can seem intimidating or scary or inaccessible. Like, really, I can pray to the God of the universe. But I wonder if even unintentionally I've maybe cheapened what prayer is and why it matters so much when I revert to the the simplest of definitions. Dr. Alvin Vandergren says, after many years of studying prayer, he says his definition is, prayer is the conversational part of the most important love relationship in our lives, our love relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Conversational, relational. I like that definition. I feel tempted to want to add to it, to keep adding my own nuances. You might as well, as I know many of you are no rookies to a life of prayer. But my hope and my prayer for you is that as we move on in these weeks, that you will find yourself praying more confidently, more regularly, and dare I say, more powerfully, as we just don't learn about it, but we actually begin to pray individually and as a church body together. Today, I want to name a few prayer realities to get us started. You can call me Captain Obvious if you must, but I want to raise the questions. I want to raise some of the barriers or obstacles, and I want to uh, address one question in particular. Why pray? Why pray? 
I want to share with you my first real prayer moment that I had in my life. I was around nine or ten years old. I can't remember exactly, but right around there. And we were going to go on a full day's excursion to visit one of my dad's friends, a guy that I had only met in my childhood once or twice. I knew his name, but I didn't know anything about him. I certainly didn't even know he had a family. But they had a lake house, which was pretty cool, and that's where we were going. But I didn't swim. I've never been skiing. And I was probably a little bit of a stinker because it's like, really? I've got like basketball games, football games, baseball games all lined up with my buddies at home. Why are we going off? So you know how those family dynamics go. But to my surprise, this guy had a son who was around my age, a little older, and he had a whole group of lakefront neighborhood buddies that were all probably three, four years older than I was, but they all played baseball. So we had a connection. And I don't know that I remember many things about that day, but I do remember two things. I remember that after goofing around on the boat and skiing around and and having some lunch, we played a game of home run derby in the lot right next to the house that my dad's friend owned. This lot had big wooded trees up at the top that felt like the backstop of a great baseball stadium. So that's where we put home plate. And then there was just this grassy field with some slight rolling hills that just extended for hundreds of feet down to the lake. I remember the setting. But then I also remember what has been burned in my mind as the bat. See, these guys had their own baseball equipment. They had several bats with them, but all of them I knew were a little too big and too heavy for me. I'm a competitor. I wasn't going to grab a stick that was going to make me look bad in front of these guys. I was there to win home run derby, not just participate as a 9- and 10-year-old. But there was one bat that was a little smaller, and I picked it up. It was silver. It had a a worn grip. It had a, a dent in the end of the bat, but I knew that was the only one that I could probably handle and swing. I don't know how to describe it, but there was something about that bat that had a magical connection to me. When I swung that bat, when I hit balls with that bat, they would just explode. They would travel deep and far. And as when it was my turn in home run derby, the lake neighborhood boys shouted as I launched ball after ball traveling down toward the lake. I can still hear the sound of it coming off the bat. I can still feel that feeling. I can see it traveling at just a perfect trajectory. I loved that bat. I wanted that bat. In fact, I needed that bat. And so I asked the boy who owned it if he would be willing to part ways with his bat. I'm sure at 9 or 10 I didn't ask it exactly like that, but he said no. So then I said, well, how about if I buy that bat from you? Of which my dad said no. And so now I was left with really only one option, and it's an option that I had been learning about in church. I would pray. I would pray that God would get me that bat. And so we traveled, we made the long journey home that afternoon, and the bat lingered on my mind as I was formulating the plan of how I was going to pray for this bat. And I knew it had to happen quickly. And so I resolved to pray at bedtime, because that's when you were supposed to pray. I was learning this in church. And so I anxiously got home, brushed my teeth, got my pajamas on, jumped into bed, and my mom was a little 
not freaked out, but she doesn't normally see a young boy excited to go to bed. She turned off the light. I remember looking at my alarm clock, 11.16 in red letters, and I prayed that God would give me that bat, that it would be placed right on my, next to my desk, leaning against the wall, underneath my alarm clock, with the dent of the bat kind of facing a little bit this way, so I knew it was exactly that bat. And I started to pray. The sweat on my forehead became like drops of blood with the intensity of which I prayed. That's the only exaggeration in this story. But, uh, but I prayed. I was confident. There was no doubt in my mind because the heart, gut-wrenching prayers I offered were the kind that God honored. And I would wake up to find that bat. I woke up several times that night to quickly look over, and it hadn't come yet. But I remember waking up with the light coming through my bedroom window. Morning had come, and it was then I had one of the most significant moments, spiritual moments of my life. The bat did not come. And I felt that God had not answered my prayer. In fact, it was kind of a crisis of faith for me. It was my first crisis of faith. I was confused. I felt disappointed with God. I feel that he had failed. I didn't know if maybe he just didn't even care, and I didn't know if prayer was even worth the effort. It was a really difficult time, and besides all of that, I knew I wasn't supposed to think those things because the people at the church might be upset with me, so now I've got guilt and shame I'm heaping on myself. A lot for a nine or ten-year-old boy to handle. Now, I know you are brilliant theologians, and you could even draw from some of your own parenting skills of how you would counsel a young boy who prayed that a dented magical bat would be taken from one boy and given to another boy, like why those things don't often happen. But that's not the point of the story. The point is, I would be surprised if not all of you had your own moments and disappointments with prayer, with unanswered prayer, as we like to call them. The sting of feeling genuine, heartfelt prayers being denied or perhaps facing the doubts or the confusion or wondering, why should I even pray? Does it really do any good? Perhaps you've wondered why God answers some prayers and not others. Perhaps you've wondered why he heals some people but not others. Have you ever felt that perhaps you were the barrier in the prayer? Do you feel adequate to pray with power? And with confidence, two weeks ago, we ended a series in men's fraternity that meets on Thursday morning, Thursday evenings, but we ended a study on the book of James. And in chapter 5, we read these verses. Elijah was a human being, just like we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. He's a man just like us. The best I have ever done is hold rain off for two hours to finish a golf outing. I couldn't imagine holding off rain for three and a half years, not even on a desert course. Are you ever confused and wonder how you should even pray, whether it's every day or maybe it's in certain situations? Do you feel close to God when you pray? Does prayer anchor your faith and your relationship with God. Do you wish you prayed more? We could probably go on with more questions, but prayer is interesting, isn't it? So many questions, so many different experiences we have with it. 
I've shared some of my pain and disappointments, but I have had marvelous times of prayer that have fueled my own soul, that answers, if you will, have, I've seen people um, be healed. I've seen relationships restored. I've seen people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and I believe it's through prayer. But you can't always predict what will happen, can you, when you pray? Leadership Journal, a few years back, had a story where they referenced Albert Einstein, and this is what was recorded, and it's on the front of your bulletin. It says, when a doctoral student at Princeton asked, what is there left in the world of original dissertation research, Albert Einstein replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. And so we will in the weeks to come. We're going to learn many things about prayer. But again, I hope that we actually enter into prayer ourselves. As a pastor, I receive many requests for prayer. I pray with people. I pray by myself. I I pray with others. I pray corporately in settings like this. Prayer is a, a fundamental core part of the church and part of the people of God. The fundamental question is, why do we do it? Why pray? And I want to give you two answers, and the first is this. Because Jesus prayed. Now, I know that's kind of the Sunday school answer. I, was a, I breezed through Sunday school when I was a kid. If you've got God, Jesus, pray, forgive. I mean, like if you know those big four, maybe add a fifth or sixth, like you've always got the right answer. And if you put Jesus and prayer together, that's an automatic home run. But Jesus prayed. Over the last few weeks, we have been especially keyed on Jesus and Passion Week and Easter, recognizing his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his exaltation, sitting at the right hand of God. We've already professed that this morning. And we come to Jesus as Savior, and rightfully so, that we have the hope and confidence of life both now and forevermore in him. But that is only one side of the coin. The other side is that Jesus is also Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, it means that we are his followers, disciples, as the, as the Bible would tell us. And followers are to take on the life of their Lord, not just to obey, but they are like the rabbis to do what they do and do it however they do it. Jesus prayed, and I believe it matters. As the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who showed us what it looked like to be fully human and to be fully connected to God, he lived the life of prayer. Let me just give you a few examples of Jesus' life. As a faithful Jew, he would have prayed at least three times a day on regular hours. The rhythm of his life was built around prayer. We build our lives most of the time around meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or Perhaps you're like me, it's like first breakfast, second breakfast, lunch, midday snack, dinner, and more snacks to come at night. I've got to stop that. Um, But Jesus' life was oriented around prayer. There are over a dozen prayers recorded in the gospel, specific prayers of Jesus, and that does not include the parables and the teachings that he gave on prayer. Jesus prayed in private and in public. Jesus prayed in times of joy and thanksgiving, and he prayed in times of trouble. Jesus rarely prayed for anything of himself, but prayed often for others. Through prayer, Jesus found spiritual recharging 
There was one instant where, instance where it was a long day of preaching, teaching to the crowds, calling disciples unto himself, healing the sick, and he felt he needed to move to an isolated place to pray, to rejuvenate his strength and his soul. And the disciples, they didn't understand it. They wanted to give him food, and he says, I've got all the nourishment I need. They had not yet learned the power of prayer in their life. Jesus' prayers also intensified during the milestone moments of his life, his baptism, his temptation, choosing the 12 disciples, the transfiguration, his journey toward the cross. We see his prayers becoming intense and focused during those times. And Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for you, and he prayed for me. In John 17, praying that we would be one, both with God and with one another. That we would experience the same, the very same life that he experiences with God. That we would experience that. And, the, and, the, and part of that was the conversation. It was the life of prayer that just allowed this relationship to flow. Jesus held nothing back of himself in prayer. So when the questions come of why should I pray or does prayer really matter, I think of Jesus. Because Jesus prayed as if it made a difference. Jesus saw the time he spent in prayer as valuable as the time that he spent caring for people. Prayer was not just a habit. It wasn't a checkoff in Jesus' life. His life was oriented around prayer. It was how he stayed in tune with his heavenly Father. It was how he received the Spirit's power in his life. It was how he listened to his father. It was the lifeline and the relationship with the one with whom he was one. Jesus gives us strong evidence that prayer matters, both to God and the one who prays. But to discount prayer, to conclude that it doesn't really matter, is to view Jesus as something of deluded. <clears throat> those earliest followers, those first disciples, did not see Jesus as deluded. In fact, as they observed the prayer life of Jesus, it marked them. As they watched and listened and witnessed Jesus in prayer, they came to this great question, Lord, teach us to pray. Let me share with you that story. One day, Jesus was, what? Praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. You see, that's that rabbi, it's that teacher thing that the, the disciples, his followers, wanted to do what the master was doing and to do it however the master did it. So it's a great question. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. That's Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And then Jesus goes on. He says, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside the doors answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I cannot and give, cannot and give you, get up and give you anything. You know anything, like families kind of slept together. So once you finally get the little ones down to create all that commotion would just create chaos in the house. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say, 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you, who are evil, earthly, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We will return back to this passage, I'm confident, in the weeks to come. But let me share with you just four quick observations. First, as followers of Jesus, we are to follow him into his kind of life which means into his life of prayer. We need to be like those first disciples saying, Lord, teach me to pray because I want to follow you and do what you do and do it how you do it. Second, Jesus directed his followers toward the kingdom of God and the will of God. The kingdom and the will of God became the anchor point, became the launch pad for the prayers that would follow. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. We see Jesus praying those words. Third, the greatest gift that God can give us is his spirit. When we seek God in prayer, we open ourselves to the very life of God. And that life transcends anything we could possibly imagine in this life. It's that deep sense of joy and peace despite any circumstance. Spirit of God. And fourth, God is relational, like a friend you can go to at night or like a a father with his child. Jesus says God is like that. It is safe to go to him, to talk to him, to ask things of him. It pleases him for his children that come to him. But God is so much more and so much better than the best of friends and the best of earthly parents. There is one more reason I would like to give you. Jesus prayed. That's why we should pray. But also, I want to offer you this. We pray because it changes us. It changes us. It, it makes faith come alive. It makes it active. It makes it relevant. It makes it vibrant in our lives. When people find themselves in a dry spot or a rut, we say, like in their faith journey, where maybe they were going along well, but now they just find themselves, as Lisa shared with us, maybe doing the things they don't want to do. They feel God is distant. I'll ask usually two questions. I'll say, are you, by chance, reading and reflecting on the scriptures at all on a regular basis? And are you praying to God? Nine times out of ten, maybe more, the answers are, you know what, I've kind of stopped reading my Bible and no, I'm not really praying. Maybe a little desperation prayer, but it's not, it's not maybe as vibrant or as often as it should. Bill Hybels, actually, let me, let me before we leave that thought, just ask you the question, because it kind of convicts me. Think about this question this week. What do your prayers and what does your prayer life reveal about your relationship with God right now in this season of life? If it's conversation with the most important love relationship in our life, what is your prayer life saying about your relationship right now, at least as far as it depends on you? Bill Hybels, in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, says this. He says, the most fulfilling byproduct or fruit of life 
is not having a perfect attendance record that you've prayed daily or that, that your prayer closet, you've not missed one day in your prayer closet. He goes, that's not the most fulfilling. The most fulfilling is also not actually seeing miraculous answers to actual prayers that have been prayed, as marvelous as that is. He says the, the, the biggest fulfillment in prayer that he has discovered in cultivating a life of prayer is the great thrill and the qualitative difference it makes in one's relationship with God. The greatest fruit, the greatest fulfillment we have in prayer is how it impacts our relationship with God itself. Prayer is relational. Prayer impacts our lives. F.B. Meyer says, the greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And so our series on prayer begins. Daring prayer begins. And I want to extend to you an invitation or maybe it's an opportunity for you. What if we committed ourselves to pray? Not just show up every week and learn about it and maybe study it in our small group, but what if we actually committed ourselves to pray? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. That's the whole verse. If you want to start memorizing scripture, start with that one. It's two words, pray continually. But there's something to that. There's those regular times of prayer, but then throughout your day, there's opportunities. There's moments of decisions. There's situations. And there's just promptings where we can just go to God in prayer. What if we listened for those? What if we intentionally moved in these next few weeks to be intentional with prayer? Let me give you maybe my simple formula of what I would ask you to do beginning this week, maybe even today. First, talk to God. Talk to God throughout your day, whether it's in short moments, whether it's planned moments, but begin that conversation. Talk to God because he loves to hear from you. Second, listen to God. Listen to God. Believe that he has something to share with you as well. He's given us two ears and one mouth, so let's make sure we're using our prayer ears as much or maybe even more as our spoken words. Listen to God. And then just dwell in the moment. Dwell with God. Sit in his presence. You will be amazed at what happens to your prayers when you learn, even if it's just for a minute, but it could be longer, to just sit content in God's presence. It might help you listen, but you will find yourself, I would guess, moving and praying for things that you didn't expect. And then reflect. Reflect and remember what you're praying for, what you're hearing from God, what you're sensing God say to you. Keep a lookout for God during your day, and at the end of the day, just kind of review the tape. Where did you see God's movement? As you do that, you will begin to really get in tune with God and what the Spirit is doing in your life. And then return to that often. Talk to him, listen to him, just dwell with him, and then reflect on what he's doing. I would love to see what happens the next few weeks if we would just do that. My hope and prayer is that your relationship with God flourishes, that it would impact you, that it would deepen in these next few weeks, that would just be a springboard to so much more to come. I pray that you find yourself in a new season of rich faith. And just maybe others will look at you maybe a few weeks from now, and they're going to notice something. They're going to witness something. They might see or hear, but they may just come to you and say, can I ask you a question? 
Why do you pray? Can you teach me to pray? Let me pray for you now. Father, we love you. Thank you for being like that friend, like that parent that just gives us safety to talk and to listen. God, we do believe that you have things that you want to share with us. We want to be led. We want to be faithful followers. God, move us to pray, not just to learn about it. And there's things we need to learn. But God, move us to actually pray with you, with one another. And God, may we open ourselves to your spirit. In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, and God's people said, amen.